Welcome to Talk Plus Water, the podcast associated with the Texas Plus Water newsletter, which provides timely information on the spectrum of Texas water issues, including science, policy, and law. Texas Plus Water is published jointly by the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment at Texas State University, the Texas Water Journal, and the Texas Water Resources Institute at Texas A&M University. You can sign up for Texas Plus Water by visiting texasplusWater.org slash newsletter. My name is Todd Bothler. I'm the editor-in-chief of Texas Plus Water and the Texas Water Journal, as well as the host of Talk Plus Water. This is Podcast 11. My guest today is Jennifer Bowles. Jennifer is the executive director of the Water Education Foundation based in Sacramento, California. A veteran journalist, Jennifer directs the development of Western Water News, the Layperson's Guide series on key water topics, the Water Education Foundation's Colorado River Project, posters, maps, tours, and various workshops and conferences. She oversees the Water Leaders Program and leads fundraising, communication, uh, social media efforts all for the foundation. Much of her career, Jen has been an award-winning journalist who covered water issues across California and the West, along with renewable energy, endangered species, public lands, and other natural resource issues. Jen received her bachelor's degree in journalism and history from the University of Southern California and completed the year-long Ted Scripps Fellowship for environmental journalism at the University of Colorado Boulder, where she focused her studies on water and the and environmental law and policy. Welcome, Jen, and thank you for being part of Talkless Water. Thanks for having me, Todd. So, Jen, let's start out with your background in water. How did you first become involved with water issues? Well, it sort of started out, I was a journalist working at the Associated Press in Los Angeles in essentially the 1990s, covering everything under the sun, from the L.A. riots to the O.J. Simpson trial to, you know, even the deadly Northridge earthquake in 1994, just an array of hard news. I also covered the Oscars and the Emmy Awards and did interviews of celebrities because we were in L.A. We That's part of the news there. And also taught music bands at the time. I actually did one of the rare interviews with Bob Dylan, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, I'd like to hear it. But to get to the point, to get to the point was, I, you know, I had a great time. I loved working for Associated Press. I loved covering the variety of news issues that were up out there, but I, I really wanted to start focusing on something that was super important to to everyone, um, and, and really there's nothing more important than the water we drink, the air we breathe, natural resource issues. Um, so I applied to the Ted Scripps Fellowship for Environmental Journalism in Boulder, Colorado, and got accepted, and that is where I studied mainly at the law school, uh, taking classes on natural resources law, water law, policy, those uh, things of that nature. And I just got the water bug right then and there. <laughs> I returned, uh, you know, after my year in Colorado and um, 
I actually had, had hiked to the headwaters of the Colorado River during that time as well. <laughs> um, just a side note. But I returned to Associated Press um, uh, after my year in Colorado and um, later took a job at the Press Enterprise, a newspaper in inland Southern California. And that's where I really, really started covering water issues in depth um, and other natural resources issues. And so, you know, it was really a kind of a regional reporting job because water in California, it's not just local water, it's also uh, you know, the water that's coming from Northern California through through the Delta, it's also the Colorado River that's uh, feeding a lot of uh, Southern Californians um, so, you know, you end up covering all kinds of, uh, of water issues and also your local watershed as well which at, at that time was the Santa Ana watershed, Santa Ana River watershed, so um so that's how I got really interested in 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 uh, water. So, as a a journalist covering water issues, I'm I'm interested. Did you did you notice that this is something I've noticed, for example, in Texas that mm-hmm. uh, you know the public's interest in uh, articles on water you know seems to be tied to droughts. You know, when we're yeah. talking about people running out of water or, or uh, some kind of uh, pollution issue and they're concerned about their, you know, their safety. Have you noticed something, any of that? That, that people are, that, that, that they're more interested when there's a drought? Yes. You mean? Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, I mean, we had that here in California just uh, with our historic drought just a few years ago. Um, people get more... Uh, more into it, they start tearing up their lawn and putting more uh, natural plants there. I mean, yeah, I mean, the droughts are usually a good time to teach people about water and the scarcity of water in California and really a lot of the uh, of the West. So after a successful career as a journalist covering water issues, you made the transition to your current role as executive director of the Water Education Foundation. So, right, right. So right. I'm interested and, and, in and, how... And, oh. and my, my predecessor, Rita Sudman, was also a journalist. She was more of a TV journalist, radio journalist. Um, I was more on the print side. Um, but being a journalist is really key at the Water Education Foundation because it's a very much an impartial organization. Um, it, it takes that role very seriously in California. You know, we are essentially the Switzerland of the California water world, so we have to stay neutral uh, in everything we do, whether it's news articles, tours, you know, every program that we do. So, um, so, so, and we, and we have to, we have to make sure that we have all stakeholder perspectives in anything that we do. Um, so, so we have to stay, and, and being a journalist, you have to stay impartial as well. So really the mission of the foundation really spoke to me on that level. Um, and one of our big programs is Western Water News, which used to be a print magazine, uh, dating back to the late seventies. Um, and we made the decision a couple years ago, or actually at the beginning of 2018, to put it completely online. Um, so, being uh, so in my role as executive director, I'm also the executive editor of Western Water News, and so I'm, I'm constantly editing. I'm con- and I'll occasionally write a column also on on that will be married with an in-depth article that we write speaking some of the background about why we decided 
decided to do an in-depth article or what have you, the, some big water topic in California. So being a journalist was really, really helped me a lot. But it, however, it did not teach me to fundraise and how to keep a nonprofit moving along. But I somehow uh, slipped pretty easily into that role. So it's been five years now that I've been at the, at the foundation. So keeping it going strong. <laughs> well, we hope so. We hope so. So, what uh, you know? What were some of the challenges that, besides fundraising, uh, that you uh, encountered when you you first uh, you know took over your role as executive director? Since that you know you was such a very different type of thing. Right. Right. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's first of all, it's a nonprofit, and you're actually running it. It's like running a small business. So you're not just the executive editor of Western Water News. You're also the uh, the CFO, the CEO, the COO. So you play, you know, chief operating officer, the chief financial officer, the HR, the, the human resources person. You're really running a small uh, business, and so you know, it's just learning to to manage all those elements and keep programs going and making sure, uh, you know, the fundraising was coming in so we could keep everything going. Um, I guess the other thing was, you know, just managing big conferences and symposiums, something I had never really done. But even even with those, when we have... um, uh, conferences on our panels. We have uh, we try to do as have as many stakeholders as possible. Uh, so it always goes back to that impartiality theme at the foundation, and again back to that journalism theme of impartiality. So um, so yeah, there was a, there was definitely a lot to learn, um, um, but it's a it's a very satisfying mission to help carry out and to direct. So. Why don't you tell us more specifically about the foundation and its programs? Yeah, so the Water Education Foundation was founded in 1977 in the midst of a very bad drought. And the idea was to have an impartial organization to educate the public and policymakers about water. Um, So that was back in 1977. And slowly over time, we developed an array of programs and publications that address water education from K through 12 all the way to adults. So... um, so a lot of people, we have, a, you know, we have a variety of programs, um, including our water tours. Um, that those are very a public, very visible program that we do. We do about six to eight water tours a year through key watersheds, such as the Delta here in California, the San Joaquin Valley, the Lower Colorado River. Um, we go, we have at Northern California, tour that goes up to Shasta that's you know pretty far north of of, of um, Sacramento um, and on every single tour that we do you're visiting infrastructures farmers fields wetlands and habitat for species you're hearing and you're hearing from those farmers you're hearing from environmentalists you're hearing from urban users and rural users and you know again that kind of uh, you know 
all perspective viewpoint comes in on our tours as well. Um, we're about to head out on our edge of drought tour that's going to be along the coast in the Santa Barbara region. And, you know, that area is a very water scarce region. Um, and we're sort of using the tour to showcase projects that are aiming to stretch water supplies, um, you know, whether it's through ocean desalination or groundwater recharge or, or what have you. Um, we always try to. Uh, teach lessons, you know, no matter what program we're doing. Um, so our tour program's a, a, a big one. In terms of other prop programs, um, we have Project WET, which is water education for teachers, and we coordinate about 50 workshops across California each year designed to help K-12 teachers bring lessons on water science, conservation, supply, habitat um, into the classroom. So that's a, that's, a, that's a great program. We already talked about Western Water as kind of one of our flagship uh, news publication. Um, we do really um, beautiful water maps. I don't know if you've had a chance to see those, but they're really um, beautiful on educational water maps. We have one of California. We have one of the Delta. We have one of the Colorado River. Um, we, we actually have a groundwater map that shows the different aquifers in California and then explains the difference in water wells and, and things like that. We also do, um, we have layperson's guides on key water topics, and so groundwater, climate change, um, uh, um, uh, recycling, um, wastewater, I, I mean, the list goes on and on, and um, we have kept those um, guides in print. Um, for now um, in the print format. We know when the college semester starts because we know some professors in California use them as textbooks. So we're happy about that. Um, so and we talked about conferences and workshops and we also, one, one of our, perhaps one of our biggest and most popular programs in California is our Water Leaders Program. And essentially that's a one-year program where we have about give or take 20 young engineers, lawyers, farmers, environmentalists, and other NGOs uh, kind of stay with us for a year-long program. Um, they study a topic um, uh, in the water world. This year, it's fire and water. Um, and they have to come up with policy recommendations. Um, they, they each get a mentor who's somebody, top policymaker in California, um, along those lines, that they, that they use during the year. They come on our water tours. We make them take our Water 101 workshop. Um, anyways, it's super popular. We get way more applications than we can manage to come into the classroom. So um, that's a really, really great program that we do. And we're pretty well known for that program. So I've got questions about um, most of those programs. And <laughs> because, I mean, those they're really fantastic uh, yeah. from everything I've heard and what I've seen online. And, and, and I want to start with the tours. So um, just so that everybody understands, these are these are multi-day tours, and and, yes. and everybody's in a in a bus, and I guess they're 
they're maybe receiving presentations and getting to know the other stakeholders who are on the tour. Is that is that what's happening? Right, and actually, that's a big part of it too. We build in a lot of networking into our tours because, again, we have stakeholder groups from all all over on on each and every tour. So we want to make sure they're talking to each other and understanding each other's perspectives. So yes, these are bus essentially bus tours for two or three days, typically. Um, but we do try to get out on the water. For instance, when we go up to Shasta Dam, we actually take a houseboat ride on Shasta Lake. Um, we try to go uh, along, when we do the Lower Colorado River, we try to go either along the river or in one, uh, take a ride on one of the reservoirs there. So we do try to get people out on the water a bit, but they are uh, essentially bus tours. And you have people talking at every stop, so at a dam or at wetlands, and and, we're, and sometimes we're walking um, through the wetlands or through, through a mountain meadow, and then we're having people talk um, about a specific project, whether it's a restoration project or, or what have you. And then on the bus itself, we have people talking on the bus. Um, we have what we call resource speakers who will come for the entire time of our tour. And these are like just experts of the particular region. And they will fill in as we're driving through a certain area. They'll give context to what everybody's seeing. Um, they'll answer questions. They'll key off of uh, other speakers who are at a certain stop. So we're stopping along the way, say five, maybe five stops, five or six stops during the day. Um, and then, and then uh, we also have people speaking on the bus as well. So you're actually um, structuring the tours with a yeah. balance of stakeholders. And yeah. uh, do, I mean, do you see uh, from the tours that that there are uh, relationships that get started between some of the stakeholders, or at least they, they oh. get to know each other, start working together better? Do you see that kind oh. of interaction? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. We see that. We, and, and we see that with every program we do. But, you know, you're, you're, you're on the bus for three days with somebody. You're going to places that you wouldn't normally go to um, and you know sometimes we're really out in the boondocks and uh, yes they they, they for start to form relationships and they do continue after the, oftentimes they do continue after the tour so that's a big part of what we, we are trying to do at the foundation is, is helping to create those relationships and people to understand other perspectives so uh, I went on a tour several years ago here in Texas uh, that was modeled after uh, one of the tours that, or the type of tour that that the uh, Water Education Foundation does, and I suspect that maybe that they they had some assistance from your organization, and it really was just terrific. And uh, you know, I I was thinking, well, you know, we're going to see this as a regular thing, and. Um, I'm sure you're going to see this in a lot of other states, but but I don't think that's really happened. Uh, and uh, I, mean, I sure would like to see someone else try it again here. No, absolutely. And 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 I, I have to add that um, I took my first water education friendship foundation tour when I was a journalist um, in Southern California and I took the lower Colorado River tour and there is nothing, nothing like seeing something up close. There's absolutely nothing. I mean, and I try, I know a lot of attorneys, I say you're writing memos and things about um, 
structures you haven't even seen. There's nothing like putting eyes on the river, eyes on what's going on. You know, there's just no substitute. So that's really why we do the water tours. So let me ask you about uh, Project Wet. Um, so, uh, you know, one, one thing that I find very encouraging, because I see this with my children, is that, you know, they're learning about water conservation and, uh, you know, issues associated with water that, that, you know, when I was going through school, you know, we didn't talk about that. Uh, we might talk about the hydrologic cycle for a day, uh, um, or, well, less than a day, but, but uh, it, it seems like, you know, programs like Wet, wet, which I want you to tell me a little bit more about, um, are really having a big impact on the, the you know younger generations. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, depending on your age, you know, you might have learned about recycling when you were a kid. And so now it's like, um, which I remember I did as a child. And it really helps when, you know, the, the students come home and they talk to their parents about it as well, right? So that, that's kind of the idea behind Project Wet. So Project Wet Water Education for Teachers is actually a Montana-based um, organization. We're the California coordinator of Project Wet. So and each not I don't know that every state has 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 a program, but we we do it in California, and so yeah, it's really important to um, uh, you know teach the kids when they're young, get them to understand what a, what a watershed is, the hydrologic cycle, all that stuff is really important, and that's what they you know they really focus on and water science and conservation, and so we started the program here in the mid 1990s in California, and. We have taught um, X amount of teacher. We so so we actually have these stats where we we know we teach X amount of teachers per year, and then that impacts you know. Uh, many more students that they're going to teach that year. So we, our stats are more than 5 million. We've reached more than 5 million students since the mid-1990s. So it's a, it's a great program. So the Water Leaders Program, uh, you know, first of all, I love, I love the idea of this. And um, it seems like this is a great example. I mean, the other the other two programs are as well, but this is, you know, maybe a more direct example of how your projects are, are integrated with, with other entities within uh, California that you're working with. And I'm assuming that, you know, the, the mentors come from a range of organizations. Okay. Yeah, they do. I mean, the, the, the mentors are, you know, for instance, for this year, we have Carla Nemeth, who's the director of the Department of Water Resources. She's a mentor. We've had natural resource secretaries serve um, as mentors. We try to get top stakeholders uh, or top policymakers to be mentors. Um, we just had someone today come into the class because they're here today on Water Readers Program, and we had someone from the California Public Utilities Commission uh, come and speak to them about leadership because she um, is on. She was appointed by the previous governor to be on a, a commissioner on the CPUC. And guess what? She's a graduate of our Water Leaders Program in two, the year 2000. So our Water Leaders Program has been going on since 1990. 
37. And so we have now more than 400 graduates. And it's a really um, exciting thing when they go out there and they they uh, meet other people who are in other water leader classes and graduates. And so it creates a real kind of a fraternity here in the California water world if you've graduated from our program. So it sounds like it's also something that's that's a coveted thing by younger yes. professionals. Oh, it's definitely, it's definitely coveted. And, you know, we're grateful to have the mentors because they volunteer their time to do a shadow day with the, um, uh, with the water leaders class member. And, and I, I would say one of the hardest things, most challenging things in my years is not just, you know, it's, it's collecting all of those, asking all those mentors to volunteer their time, but it's also pairing them up mentor to mentee and again because you don't want to pair up say a farmer with a farmer you want to pair up a farmer with an environmentalist or you want to pair up you know a lawyer with an engineer you want it or a diff, just a different perspective right you you know uh, a planner with a with a scientist like I really try that, that's one of the things I really sought hard to do is make sure they're they're learning a different perspective um uh, during their shadow day and, and seeing a different side of the water world than they're, than they're used to. So it's, a, it's this year they came back with great stories of everything they got to do. Like, for instance, I paired up someone from the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation with, um, you know, they're managing water here in California. And I paired him up with um, someone from the Central Valley um, uh, Water Quality Control Board who actually goes out and tests for water quality. So while he's focused in his job on water supply, his mentor is more water quality focused. So he kind of, you know what, they get a different perspective. So you, so you know, clearly you're seeing that the programs, the foundation, are influencing, uh, you know, the the uh, community of water professionals within California. Do you do you also see uh, evidence of, of of that influence in uh, changes in water policy or management uh, practices in California? You know, I don't know that we can we can really draw that link or take credit for any of that, but um, I, I I can I can say that I see a lot more uh, projects and organizations working together on solving California's water issues because they are really tricky. You know, one of the big things we're doing is here, especially just north of Sacramento, is reactivating floodplains, for instance. And we've got a major farm company that's involved, the Environmental Defense Fund that's involved. We've got all kinds of people who are involved in this effort and to try to also um, uh, help the salmon in the river to survive. So we have a farming company who's, who's doing all kinds of habitat projects in the river to try to help the small salmon, you know, the young juvenile salmon to actually survive and creating some habitat by dropping these um, uh, walnut tree tree roots. They're, they're uh, anchored by large boulders, but they create habitat. Um, because because the, the, the rivers are so altered, they're essentially a desert under underneath and there's not very many places for the salmon to hide so 
we're seeing all kinds of projects where people are coming together to to work to solve California's water problems, and it's really really satisfying. Well, let's talk about a couple of those major efforts on the state level. Um, the first one I'd like to talk about is the uh, Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. That's, uh, I guess, a, a few years old now, and yeah, yeah. you're seeing yeah. implementation, and how's that going? Well, it's um, we have a, 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 our first big deadline coming up in January of the kind of critically overdrafted basins. They have to come up with their plan. Um, you know, California was really, you know, California generally is at the forefront of environmental protections and, and that sort of thing. But when it came to groundwater, we were like the last in the in the West <laughs> to to come up with a sustainable groundwater management act, and that uh, that was a. Uh, 2014. So um, it's been about five years. And so we are going to see what happens in January. In fact, uh, a SIGMA, as we call it, that's the acronym SIGMA, we call it in California. Uh, we're going to be looking at that topic at our annual water summit in October because, um, and we're calling our, our summit the Year of Reckoning in part because, you know, 2020, you know, we're going to have a lot of deadlines, um, and especially this big one with Sigma. So we'll, we'll find, we'll see how it's going. I hear, I hear it's going well in some parts of California, others maybe not so well, but we're going to find out soon enough. So I've heard Sigma described in some ways as uh, kind of the opposite of what Texas has with desired future conditions, which, you know, really what you're, you're saying is what you, uh, what you want your aquifer to, I mean, what, what a snapshot of what, what you want it to be like, whereas maybe Sigma is what you don't want it to be like, what you want to avoid. Right, 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 right. Exactly. No, that's a really good way to put it. You know, I mean, it's it's groundwater is something that we rely on heavily when we go through a drought. So um, it's it's important for us to to have our aquifers be sustainable. And yeah, so it's it became a really big issue, and it still is a big issue. <laughs> and now they're talking about managing you know ground uh, floodwaters to recharge the aquifers. So there's a, there's a lot going on with the groundwater here. So how has uh, that work gone with the agricultural community? Because they're, they're you know, such a major user of water in California. Yeah, I mean, they're the ones, uh, essentially, a lot of the critically overdrafted basins are in the San Joaquin Valley, which is essentially in between Bakersfield and Sacramento. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they're gonna, they have a lot, a lot of work to do because of Sigma. If they don't come up with um, their own plans, um, the State Water Resources Control Board will uh, throw down the gavel. So there's a lot of... Um, uh, incentive for them to come up with locally based plans on how to manage the groundwater. So I, I remember reading that uh, the drought that you, you came out of here recently uh, was a, a major uh, issue as far as groundwater, and that a lot of the you know, a lot of the aquifers were really uh, you know um, depleted in okay. in some areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that, that's what happens when, you know, we don't have any sur- natural surface water to tap. Everyone goes into the ground. Everyone looks 
downward, right? And so during the drought, there were uh, just a lot of stories about people drilling even deeper wells and even deeper wells because, you know, the water table was going down. So um, well drillers were very, very much uh, uh, very busy during that time. <laughs> kind of a race to the bottom. A race to the bottom, yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, you also have the California Water Fix and the Eco Restore programs that uh, Governor Brown was a big champion of, but you, you've now got a, a new governor, Newsom, yeah. and there's mm-hmm. been some changes to those programs. So could you tell us about the Water Fix and Eco Restore and then tell us about what's changed here recently? Well, um, and, and, and Waterfix was the name that they gave it. We actually don't call it that at the foundation. Um, but, however, um, Waterfix had to do with building tunnels under the Delta, the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta. Those are the Sacramento River and the San Joaquin River come together to form our Delta in California that is essentially between Sacramento, San Francisco, and Stockton. And so the way our water has flown through California is that it falls as rain or snow in Northern California, um, and it, it is transported through that Delta. And there's just... I mean, how much time do you have? There's a, the Delta is very complex. It's very uh, complicated. Uh, there's a lot of uh, emotion tied to the Delta. Um, it's a bunch of, uh, you know, it's islands. People farm there. They live there. And, yeah, we, and we send our water through there to get down to Southern California. So it's a very much a hot spot in the California water world. And the um, former governor, Governor Brown, wanted to build tunnels under the delta so that the water wasn't going through the delta it was going to just go under the delta and for for a number of reasons one um we've got a bunch of islands and levees in the delta that you know uh, if we had a big earthquake they could collapse and then the water from the ocean would come in and and make that fresh water salty and we could never we can't send it down to southern california for drinking purposes and um there's an endangered uh, delta smelt um and and endangered salmon in the delta and what happens is as the water um from the sacramento river goes through the delta um it has to be pumped up and those pumps can chew up those little fish um, and kill them and they are endangered so that's a problem right so um, so they thought that the tunnels might be able to circumvent some of those problems um, so that the water could continue going down to Southern California and so when um, Newsom, our, our, our more recent governor, um, came into came into town, so to speak. Um, he changed it from two tunnels to one tunnel. So, um, and he also directed. Um, he, he, his focus is on preparing what they call a water resilience portfolio for California. So he's, he's focused on water issues here. Um, um, they're talking about one tunnel instead of two. You know, the two tunnels were controversial in some areas of California. Um, uh, whether the one tunnel is going to pass muster with everyone, I don't know. Um, I guess we'll just, we'll, we'll have to find out. That n- nothing is 
done easily in California water, you know, and, and it takes time um, to get these programs. This program sort of has to be restarted um, uh, with the one tunnel, and we can kind of, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. So, essentially, the, um, the, the issue is you've got a massive surface water um, interbasin transfer from Northern California to Southern California, and you're trying to mitigate impacts of the Delta by tunneling underneath. And Essentially, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. What, one of the things I find interesting kind of watching this, watching that uh, uh, unfold from here in Texas is uh, how you um, see and hear so much um, uh, discussion by the governor, you know, the leader of the state about water. And, you know, you don't see that everywhere. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you see it here in California because, one, where water's, you know, we don't always have a lot of water. We are an agricultural powerhouse. We have large cities that depend on that water. So, and, and, and we have a lot of biodiversity of species that depend on that river, whether they're a fish or whether they're a bird, uh, you know. So, so we have everything coming at you from all directions when it comes to water in California. That's what kind of makes it interesting um, and more unique from other other states. So, speaking of other states, uh, the Water Foundation does some work outside of California. I understand. So, can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah, we do. Um, we it, we work a lot on the Colorado River, so to speak, in terms of we write articles for Western Water on the Colorado River. Um, we do a tour of the lower, a three day tour of the Lower Colorado River, which essentially starts in Las Vegas and hits a Hoover Dam, and then goes down the river almost all the way to the border, swings up along the Salton Sea goes through some of the agricultural lands that are uh, served by the Colorado River. Um, So we do that. And we have a beautiful, we just redid our Colorado River map, water map. And and these are beautiful maps. They're also educational. And and actually, when I was a journalist, I had the California water map by my desk. I always referred to it when I was reporting on water issues because it, it was a good visual of how water moves through the state. You know, so the maps are really important. So, again, not to get off, but Colorado River. And then one of the biggest things we do is, and we're gearing up for this uh, in September, is our uh, biennial Colorado River Symposium in Santa Fe. Santa Fe is where the original negotiators of the 1922 compact on the Colorado River, you know, they negotiated from uh, the states and um they, they were they did the original negotiations for 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 the river and how to divvy it up and all that stuff in Santa Fe. So we have our biennial event there. It brings in people from all seven states that depend on the Colorado Colorado River, so Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, uh, Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. Plus, we can't forget Mexico. Um, so um, as because the the river goes down. It, it's an international river, so um, we also have a lot of people from the tribes. There's a lot of tribes that live along the Colorado River, so we have a lot of tribes that come to our event. And this is a very high-level 
invitation only event again where people come to discuss the issues and try to understand other perspectives again that's the theme that goes through a lot of our events um, and everything that we do here so um, that's a big that's a big event we have every two years um, and we're about to go there next month so in Santa Fe in 1922 uh, the the uh you know, the plan for sharing water out of the Colorado was reached. But uh, here more recently, um, there's been some new developments um, having to do with water sharing among the states. And uh, maybe Mexico, I'm not sure, I, didn't, I don't know for sure, is Mexico part of the, the uh, uh, agreement that's been worked out uh, through the Department of Interior? Yeah, so that's, um, you're, you're referring to the drought contingency plan, the DCP as they call it. There's a drought contingency plan for what we call the lower basin. That's the three the three um, states, Arizona, Nevada, and California. And then there's an upper basin uh, drought contingency plan for Colorado, Utah, um, New Mexico, and Wyoming. So um, at our event two years ago, we actually had the latest uh, agreement between the United States and Mexico signed at our event. It's called Minute 323, um, and that that took into consideration all the, the, all these plans were sort of weaved together. So because you can't, there's a lot of things you can't do without Mexico's help and vice versa. So. All of these plans are considering Mexico um, and vice versa. So, and we'll be talking about that next month, actually, at our event. So, I want to wrap up with a, a question about uh, how the uh, West and California, all all the Southwest, uh, can best meet its future. Uh, water needs. Do you, have you, I'm sure you've given a lot of thought about that. Uh, do you think that we're uh, on the right track, or do you think that uh, maybe there's some some other things that that we need to uh, give more consideration? Well, I think I think there's a lot of forward thinking in terms of. Um, you know, the, the Colorado River has been through a 20-year drought, is experiencing a 20-year drought. So, so, and I think everyone has really reached the conclusion or have, a, have accepted that, you know, climate change is going to continue to threaten um, our water supply in the West, and we need to do something about it, right? So uh, there's a lot of water recycling, uh, ocean desalination. There's all these, you can't have all your eggs in one basket when it comes to water, right? There's, you, you have to have, an array of, of, um, uh, of projects to, to make sure that we still have fresh water for everybody, you know, and uh, it seems like we're going on that track and it depends on where you're located on what kind of projects you're going to have and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but um, yeah, I think, I think, I think people understand it. Um, they understand what's going on and they're the, the people who are managing and in charge of that, they're understanding the importance of, of what needs to be done. So, Jan, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, before we go, though, can you tell our listeners how they can find out more about the Water Education Foundation and all the things that you're doing? 
Oh, sure. One of the easiest ways is just to go to watereducation.org. That's our website. And um, it, it's actually a, a, a really good resource just to do your own research. Uh, you can sign up for, um, under our quick links, we have uh, sign up for announcements. And that's where we will tell you when the latest Western Water article is available, how to sign up for that, what kind of events we have coming up, um, and, and just everything that we're doing. So um, watereducation.org. Great. Fantastic. Jen, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Todd. I really appreciated it and enjoyed our conversation. This has been Talk Plus Water, the podcast associated with the Texas Water Newsletter which provides timely information on the spectrum of Texas water issues, including science, policy, and law. My guest today was Jen Bowles, who is the executive director of the Water Education Foundation based in Sacramento, California. Texas Plus Water is published jointly by the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment at Texas State University, the Texas Water Journal, and the Texas Water Resources Institute at Texas A&M University. You can sign up for Texas Plus Water by visiting texasplusWater.org slash newsletter. My name is Todd Botler. I'm the host of Texas Water. Let's talk about water again soon. Thank you.